This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and their effects on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. On today's uh, program, we will be talking to Christian Malaster, founder and CEO of Ingenium Digital Health Advisors in Annapolis, Maryland in the, in the US. And Ingenium enable health providers uh, to provide the best care in the most efficient and cost-effective way. And Christian will explain all that to us in due course. Christian himself is originally from Hamburg in Germany, but has been in the US for quite a number of years, and I think back and forth as well, and we'll ask him about that. So welcome, Christian, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you so very much for having me, Patrick. Really appreciate it to be here and talking about, yeah, the things that are very valuable to me in my professional life. Excellent. Delighted delighted to have you. So um, could you give us, to start off, maybe an overview of your life and, and career to date? How did the young German lad from Hamburg turn into the CEO of a healthcare sector consultancy in the U.S.? Well, as, as I always mind me jokingly say, it's maybe because I liked wine and tea and not coffee and beer. <laughs> maybe that's what brought me over to the U.S. Um, but no, I was always very, uh, very interested in in uh, uh, things. And, and so in 1988, I visited the U.S. for 10 weeks and I basically, yeah, I just fell in love with the spirit and, and the flexibility and always had this dream of, of going back. And then in 1998, I had a chance. Um, and uh, followed it, uh, followed a woman too. So, um, but yeah. yeah, and then I ended up in 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 the U.S. in 1998. So 25 years now, uh, in 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 the U.S. Um, and I I stumbled into healthcare in uh, in 2000 at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, in the Midwest, and that's really was my introduction to healthcare. Um, I was trained and almost raised as a German engineer with an engineering okay. mindset. Did. Uh, software engineering, but I got an engineering degree um, and um, then started working for IBM Global Services and then um, and then made it into US. So I was, I was mostly on the software engineering side um, and then really got interested and fell in love with the mission uh, and, and the complexities of uh, healthcare. As engineers, we like to uh, solve problems, or at least I like to solve complex problems. I like to find the best solution that satisfies all the different requirements. And so after I shed myself from the programming world, I focused on requirements engineering and on, on project management and um, and then uh, kind of stumbled uh, with one project into the world of remote physiological monitoring with a continuous heart rhythm monitor 20 years ago. Um, continued to have exposure into virtual care delivery, telehealth, video visits. And then in 2012, finally had an opportunity to shed myself from the golden handcuffs of a large academic medical center and uh, fledge my entrepreneurial wings. Um, and so I founded Ingenium in 2012, um, ran it as a solo consulting firm for the better part of the 12 years. And then in recent couple of years, started building it now out into a boutique consulting firm where we focus on enabling the delivery of extraordinary care. Okay, so we come back to Ingenium in a, in a minute, but I'm just curious to pick up on a, 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 some of the topics you touched on there. So you've a, you're a German, you've fallen in love with the, with the US, and you're an engineer who has really now become a businessman. Um, so what, are the, what have been the 
uh, pros and cons, say, of being an engineer and becoming a businessman? And what kind of cultural differences did you find either positive or that you you struggled with being a German in, in America? Very, very good uh, and interesting question. Um, so so it's interesting that you would describe me as a businessman, and I guess I am, since I'm running a boutique yes, consultant. <laughs> um, but how you do one thing, you do everything, right? So I'm I'm applying engineering principles to the way that I run my firm, the way that I design this. We have processes, we have systems, we have data. Um, we're always looking at optimizing and systematizing. So uh, again, that's where, where I'm coming from. And so everything that I do, it's it's all around the optimization of uh, of, of systems, because because really, really what I should have gone for school uh, for uh, to school for uh, is systems engineering, because that's really how my mind works. Is I always look upstream, downstream, I look at the whole complexity of the system. Um, but really, what what has emerged here over the last? Um, I was always looking for how can we be more effective with engineering solutions. And what frustrated me is that there's a lot of great technology out there that is not being used in the way that it was intended by the uh, engineers. Uh, sometimes it's because engineers never study the requirements, uh, like never ask the physicians, never ask the nurses what what they want. They just came up with this great, brilliant idea in their own little chamber. Um, and I've been guilty of that in the past um, when I developed software. Um, and so that was one part of the frustration. And that's led me to requirements engineering. And then I was really frustrated about these great solutions are out there and, and clinicians are not using them. Patients are not benefiting from them. And so um, and that's really when I became a change management agent, um, really a change management expert helping organizations to design the workflows and the training um, to integrate all the different technologies that are out there. And so we're really focusing now on accelerating the adoption of digital health innovation in, in healthcare, um, because that is, I think, uh, what's going to um, save healthcare <laughs> uh, and what's going to solve a lot of problems. And so, so yes, so while I'm, I have to be a businessman in order to, to land business and to run a business, uh, still at heart, it's about uh, figuring out how we can help organizations to use technology to deliver to deliver more extraordinary care, and then we're building all these other systems uh, behind the scenes, the, our methodologies, our approaches, um, and and other mechanisms. So, okay. So that was that, that's the part on the business part. Yeah, and then the cultural differences as a German in America. Helps. The cultural differences. Well, the the, the my first long term relationship was uh, with an American, um, and so so I basically I did not speak German um, much anymore, and and I just immersed myself into the culture. I I uh, uh, really studied English heart and uh, idioms and expressions and just remained curiosity. Um, but then, yeah, America is an interesting culture, right? Because it's this multicultural environment. It's 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 not the stew that people talk about. It's it's right. It's because uh, um, it's uh, it, it, there's independent cultural subsets uh, in, in everywhere. And now I'm married to somebody who was born in in Vietnam, and right, and that's another subset of the cultures. And so. Um, but it, what it brought me is is, is helped it um, the people that I uh, associate with here in the U.S. that are from my friends all have an international component because there's something that happens when you live abroad, when you uh, either live in a different culture or you uh, um, and and it, uh, or or when you have been uh, uh, when you are living in a different culture, or you've been exposed to different cultures. 
Case in point, you referenced that in the introduction, I spent a three-year cultural sabbatical, as I call it, uh, back in Germany. So when my girls were three and five years old, uh, we went to, to Germany with my wife. And, and so they got to learn German. They got to meet and spend time with their grandmother so that there's a relationship there. And uh, it was a really a, a study in, in, in cultural background, right, so that they have part of a German identity. But it also helped me to realize how how uh, different I have become uh, and how more worldly and or more aware of different cultures I have become to the point that I didn't really quite fit in anymore. And uh, I now even have a German, uh, have an English accent when I talk German, <laughs> which is really, really funny to me uh, to hear that feedback. But yeah, I guess after 17 years. Oh, okay, uh, so so you're, the accent you're using to speak English is leaking into your German. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And so now when I speak German, and it sounds German to me, but people say, no, it sounds, you, you have you, some pronunciations or some words, yeah. words, uh, phrases are, are, are just uh, are much more uh, English, which is really, really funny. Because uh, the only I think, German I talk to now is now a little bit to my girls, um, but mostly with my mom. Yeah, I think a lot of people who have um, moved to another country and immersed themselves and taken on the language and taken on the, the culture will relate very much to to what you're saying um yeah i spent I, sp I spent 10 years living in spain married to a spanish woman for yeah. uh, 30, 34 years and, and i know exactly what you're saying i know exactly what yeah. you're saying. but so, i think it's it just just moving as a german to, to america really helped me right it's just because you're just approaching you're looking at people differently um you're uh, you're bringing in you, you can you can really merge the best of both worlds, right? The American entrepreneurialism and the American flexibility and and, and immediate friendliness. Um, then kind of married that with some of the German principles of systems, systematic approaches, and and getting getting a lot of work done and all of that. And so I'm just yeah, I'm I'm trying to find uh, to be very conscious about marrying the best positive parts of both cultures, um, so so that I I can enjoy doing what I'm doing. Maybe I'll ask you about the, the current work of Ingenium, and then uh, we look at maybe um, this fascinating journey where you've moved from being a solo practitioner to, to leading a, a boutique consultancy. So um, how would you describe the work that, that you do now as, as Ingenium, and how are clients better off after having worked with, with Ingenium? Yeah, ultimately, it's about what I mentioned a few minutes ago about the adoption of digital health innovation. That's that's really the the intersection of healthcare delivery and technology that we focus on. Uh, obviously, as we all know, there's there's a lot of value to be gained just by improving, just by documenting processes, by following processes, by continuously improving them. Um, but we do that. We teach our organization that, or we share how this could be done with organizations that don't have traditionally done that in the past, under the guise of introducing video visits or under introducing. Uh, so your, your your clients are they insurance companies? Are they clinicians? Or are they um, healthcare providers? Or all of the above? Um, uh, not all of the above, um, but yes, a very good question. Obviously, the healthcare ecosystem is is very huge, and there's a lot of players in it. Um, and the organizations that have engaged us and that we're targeting are healthcare delivery organizations, so health systems, health centers, behavioral health agencies, primary care clinics, multi-specialty clinics um, that want to deliver care to their patients at a distance, um, um, and that's kind of their 
focus um, and now it's veering into using digital health tools and digital therapeutics tools especially in the behavioral health realm there's a lot of innovation that is available um, that people are trying to integrate um, we also uh, are working with digital health vendors and specifically with digital health startups um, because once they've developed the solution and they even sold it um, how do you then actually Im implement it in a way that uh, everybody actually uh, gets the benefits from it um, and so we're working with healthcare delivery organizations and with the digital health uh, vendors and startups. And in the U.S. exclusively, or do you work internationally as well? Um, I've had some international engagements. I'm always open. I'm not marketing actively, and I'm not as much networking actively internationally. But uh, but we've done an, uh, a few uh, international projects uh, over the past ten years. Um, but it, but right now our core expertise that we've built out is mostly around the the American healthcare ecosystem. Okay, and in terms of similar similarities or differences uh, with regard to the inroads of digital health between Europe and America, are they are they on a par? Is one ahead of the other? Well, Europe is is is, is a very fragmented uh, uh, ecosystem when it, when it comes to the option of digital health. You, you have tremendous uh, early adopters that are just uh, nailing it like the scandinavian countries the baltic states um and then uh, some of the other um um uh, eastern european countries as as well hungary comes to uh, i think it's or hungary or it's uh, some other country that have really taken a kind of nationalistic approach almost to really integrate uh, um, um, buying into digital health and really investing into digital health adoption knowing that that uh, can solve a lot of problems and so uh, i always cite examples from denmark and from sweden and from the baltic states that are really at the forefront um germany i'm uh, yeah i'm ashamed to say that digital <laughs> health there's a lot of talk about it and and there's a lot of actually politicians that get involved as well and maybe that's the problem i don't know um i'm too far removed now but but there, there's a i mean one of the challenges that we encounter in the us um is is the is, is that clinicians are um, very conservative when it comes to changing the way that they deliver healthcare, and rightfully so, because you're not dealing with with uh, with changing an oil filter or <laughs> something like that. You're dealing with people's people's lives. You're dealing with the livelihoods. You're dealing with a quality of life, and so a, a mistake um, is, is 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 has uh, huge consequences. Um, beyond other industries where you can make a mistake and then it's costly, but uh, yeah. um, usually not deadly or not not sickly. And so that's where I, I really see the, the the big difference. And the business benefits that clients get from working with Ingenium, what would you say are the top top two or three? Well, at the core, it's it's really um, the, the, there's there's a shadow industry that's being built up here in the U.S. because the U.S. is so entrepreneurial. Um, there's a lot of other players that are now meddling in healthcare delivery. Um, it started with the self-insured companies in the U.S. Uh, 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 larger corporations are self-insured, meaning um, they pay for the health insurance of their employees. And so they have an incentive to lower the cost. And so they're looking for innovative ways to do that. And Amazon has looked at it. There was a partnership between Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Chase Morgan um, that was formed to look at optimizing that. Um, and so there's there's this parallel uh, uh, healthcare delivery system that's being formed 
Um, but a lot of America is rural and a lot of America has these rural hospitals, rural health centers, rural health clinics that are serving uh, quite a large part of the population, but they don't have the technology. They may not have high speed Internet. They don't have the digital literacy, um, yet they need that access to care um, as well, which is one of the big project programs we're currently working on in rural Washington state. And so so that is so the benefits is really. Uh, for the health centers that are not embracing digital health te technology is to beef up um, their skills and, and, and experience in using that so they can, if, if you want to say, fend off the competition or that they can serve the same patients that otherwise would go to these other kind of startups. Because there's also now startups that are catering to the retired to the retirees and are offering a virtual first uh, care experience, right? Why, why, why get up from your armchair if all you need is to review a test result or have a conversation with your doctor? You can do this just as well virtually and then go in if you need to. So this whole model of virtual first is being embraced by by the venture capital funded um, uh, service deliverers, but it's not uh, it's 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 opposed by by the traditional clinicians in. The existing healthcare system, and and I'm, I'm I'm afraid that I'm scared that that the whole American healthcare system will kind of fall apart um, if the traditional healthcare systems don't figure it out. Because right now the new innovative companies are skimming from the top; they're using the most lucrative patients. And one example: Amazon tried something, Amazon Care, uh, it didn't work, and so after three years they shut it down. You cannot open a hospital in a town of 15,000 in the middle of nowhere and then try it for three years and then close it down, right? So that's um, so with these virtual companies um, and these these innovators that have innovative uh, DNA. Um, so that's that's the problem that when you so so the benefit that we're providing is really dragging them and helping them, <laughs> guiding them in into the future and really doing it in the right way. Uh, so they they can integrate healthcare delivery without um, giving up any of their uh, core values of uh, high quality care. Okay, you mentioned earlier um, your journey from a solo practitioner to now leading a, a boutique consultancy. So, a couple of questions around that: Why did you do that? How did you do it? And what does it look like now? <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes. So the I, uh, so I, I started out as, as a solo consultant and and had a long number of engagements, um, but I've always but I realized very quickly that it's a it's a lonely world out there and and I'm very extroverted. I liked I enjoy working in teams. I enjoy working with other people and because uh, it makes me better and it helps me to bounce off different ideas and build on other people's ideas and vice versa. And so, so I always I, I already sought out opportunities to collaborate with other people. Um, but business was maybe just enough to to provide uh, to support myself, and then COVID basically changed everything. Um, there's now uh, because everybody had to do uh, telehealth and video visits um, and try it out. Now, uh, 80, 90 percent had a bad experience um, because it didn't really work. Nobody was trained. And nobody was educated, but now people are realizing it's something that's here to stay. And and I'm fully believe that in ten years' time, 80, 90 percent of care of outpatient care will be provided virtually first before you have to come in. 
Um, and so, uh, so, so now there's 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 more of an opportunity, and that allowed me uh, to bring in more more people. Um, and uh, I'm I'm still running a, a pretty lean organization with uh, uh, with with freelancers and with subcontractors. Um, but some of them are working to, uh, for me substantial hours and. Uh, but that's so. I basically did it in a in a in a, in a safe way. Uh, but so far, the success has been that. Um, and and I, I stopped doing it um, in a transactional basis. I in the initial years, right? It was here's a project. I need you for this. Let's let's do the work together. And then we're engaged in a large program that that continues to churn out projects um, over time. And so that gave me enough confidence uh, to actually made made my made a commitment to a number of people. So I now have a team of uh, fifteen people um, that I'm that I'm engaging on a part time basis, and they're international. Um, so like that includes a graphic designer, that includes a social media coordinator, and then they're domestic, uh, especially on the consulting team, and they work two days a week on average, or. or or four days, five days a week on average. And how has this changed your own uh, day to day? Um, it has, well, it has freed me up to do the other things that I really enjoy, and that's the business development, that's the marketing, that's the, or as I call it, the awareness creation and the opportunity creation. Um, so the the ability to to do the networking and and build the relationships, look look for new offerings. Um, so I'm kind of like a, 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 I'm an entrepreneur, so I like to start things and I, I like to do things, perfect them, make them really well, and then move on to the next thing. And so this has really created me an environment now in which we can launch new services, we have new offerings. I, I work on them a few times and then I hand them off to a great team um, that is more than happy to run with them and, and do them while I then focus on uh, um, uh, looking at at new service lines, new markets, or or, or even just serving the existing markets with a serving uh, yeah. a service offer. So you are you are becoming, or you have become uh, a businessman and an entrepreneur, and you yes. have had you have had success. But we all know that success is not a straight line, and everybody faces setbacks in their career and in their life. So how do you how do you approach setbacks and? What do you do or what do you think or what do you say to yourself to get yourself back on track? Well, the most beautiful thing these days is that I have a team, right? When I had experienced setbacks eight years ago and I was just by myself, um, yeah, the, I mean, that, that sent me in in days and if not weeks or something, even months of, I wouldn't say depression, it wasn't a clinical depression, but definitely self-doubts and, and, and low energy. And so then in 2017, I finally realized I, I need an accountability partner. I need somebody that I meet with and just share what I'm committed to be doing. Goes back to Stephen Covey's from the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People principle of uh, making and keeping small commitments to yourself, right? That is the simple exercise to build on your, your own self-confidence. And and so I but I, I knew I needed uh, since I'm so extroverted I needed that to come externally it wouldn't come from me internally and so yeah I hired somebody six years ago to be my daily accountability partner and we met for an hour um, every day and just went over here's my to do list here's what I plan on doing here's what I still need to do and just helped me to get organized and then the next day we would do it again 
And in one form or another, I've had a daily accountability partner um, that I meet with for an hour, hour and a half to get everything done from, from proposal writing to speaking engagements tracking to awareness creation and newsletter writing. So I have a whole team now. So I've designed it around my own uh, uh, personality. And so it's it's the degree of self-awareness that I've achieved over the last 15 years uh, to know what makes me tick and what ticks me off. Um, that I could create a system around that 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 would make it productive for me. Excellent. So in all of that, what's what's the most important lesson you've learned through that transformation? Know thyself. Really, you need to do right. What works for you may not work for me, may not work for somebody else. You you really got to really dial into your own personality. Kind of what makes you drive. Um, what is that motivation that you seek in order to accomplish successes in life? And then, yeah, and then just systematically design a system that plays to your strengths and that compensates for your weaknesses. Um, the other mindset that I've had is I said, I'm going to clone myself with people who are even better than the things I'm great at. And so rather than saying, okay, I need to replace myself with one person, I said, no, let's take the seven parts or the 12 parts that uh, I'm really good at, um, because otherwise I wouldn't have come that far. And let's replace them with people who are even better at those things. And that's the mindset I've had for three, four years, and I've now succeeded. I can look at all members of my team, and they all have something that they do well, way, way better than, than I could ever do them. So I've reached my limit <laughs> at some point. And then uh, so then I seek out um, for somebody who does it even better. That satisfies my desire for quality and for excellence. Um, it also does not take away anything from my ego because I admire somebody who does things that I understand really well and does them even better. Um, and so so that's 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 I think that was a breakthrough mindset shift for me. Um, in order to be able to extract myself out of the delivery work or, or out of any any part of any work. And that's now my mindset as I'm going to build up this business development uh, process or the awareness creation process, and I'm going to optimize it. And then I'm going to hand it over to somebody who does it even better um, than I could. And, and, and then I'm on to the next thing. Excellent. And then when you're not working or thinking about work, what kind of things do you like to do in your spare time? Um, I'm a musician. I love to play keyboard. I play keyboard piano. I play in a, a small uh, cover band here in the neighborhood. We have a few gigs a year, so nothing too ambitious. Um, all kinds of music from the 70s to the 2020s. And, uh, and, and then, obviously, I've got two, uh, two daughters and my wife, uh, so spending time with the family, getting together with them, and uh, in particular, uh, reading with my girls every night. To okay, spend so some that, time. Are you reading or listening to anything currently that's particularly inspiring that you'd like to share? Well, I don't. Uh, I, I spend most of my my personal reading time on uh, on nonfiction, and there's there's a ton of great self, uh, books that I've read. Um, I, I started reading again the Four Agreements, um, which is some Toltec wisdom, and and they're really profound. And I need to go back to them. And then with my daughters, I read the Harry Potter series for uh, seven, uh, eight years. We read them twice, and that was a great starting point. The reading and 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 uh, writing skills are. Are, are very good in, in terms of their assessments. Um, but now we just picked up a new book uh, called The Covenant of Water. 
And, and the language used by the author um, is just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, we have to oftentimes look up three words um, in, in one section, one paragraph, one page, which is nice when you do it, read it on a Kindle, because you can just uh, long click the word and you get the definition. So the Covenant of Water, um, be beautiful story, beautiful imagery, and definitely I know it's an investment in my my daughter's ability to express themselves and to articulate themselves in in years to come, and it's also helping we me to get even better at English. Excellent. Well, then on that note, Christian, many many thanks for being here with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Thank you, Patrick. Really enjoyed being here. Thanks for the very insightful questions. And thanks also to our listeners for tuning in again today. And be aware that if you enjoyed this episode, you can find the full series of over 130 episodes of Interlinks on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, and other major podcast platforms. So until next time, keep well and stay safe. Mm -hmm.